0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's Market Insights podcast. Thanks very much for listening to us. We much appreciate it. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Philippe, uh, Head of Fixed Income. Philippe, welcome. And before we get going, just a very quick recap, as usual, on what's been going on in markets. Essentially, we've had something of a, of a risk on, which I think one can trace back to softening of the rhetoric around the tension between China and the US when it comes to trade. And that's caused a market rebound. And we've got the S&P 500, you know, touching distance again of record territory. We've had uh, a concomitant recovery also in emerging market currencies. Um, locally here in the UK, we've had a strong ongoing rebound in sterling, which has gone from its low of about 122 to about 130 this morning as I speak to you on Tuesday uh, against the backdrop of. Effectively, the reduction in risk of a no-deal Brexit, although the actual path from here continues to be a little uncertain, which we'll come back to. And then finally, um, as far as the U.S. is concerned, let's call it a benign uh, U.S. employment number. Uh, People have been fearing a little bit more weakness, uh, but there's been a bit of reassurance in terms of that coming out more or less as expected. Um, and then the earnings season, which is still at its early stages, but is going, quote-unquote, fine. And that's an English fine rather than an American fine, um, as in OK. And with the banks being, in some cases, uh, standout highlights reflecting slightly improved trading conditions uh, that we've been seeing. So, Philippe, um, really what I think we need to cover, um, and I'm not going to apologize for this because it is so topical, we need to cover Brexit. We need also to touch on your sense of where the China US uh, negotiations are going and their impact, and extend that into uh, your sense of the US economy, and then really end by focusing on what matters most, which is uh, your sense of rates from here and associated currency uh, implications. So, um, with that as our agenda, Brexit. Here we are. It's Tuesday. One has to be very specific in time stamping this. It's Tuesday, the twenty second of October, um, at about midday. Um, and so, from this point, uh, what do you think is most likely to happen next? So,
1: Parliament is about to sit and consider the withdrawal agreement, uh, which is a very large bill, um, enormous bill. Um, it's only one hundred ten pages long, but it has you know, you know a lot of chapters that are very important. Uh, what's as clear is the MPs uh, are sitting there saying, "Well, we haven't really had time to really understand everything, including the the deal reached uh, on Friday uh, with the EU." Um, so there's there's a lot of foot dragging uh, because they think the agenda is too tight. Now um, there's going to be a few bounces uh, along the way. Uh, clearly, a few amendments are tabled already. There was one this morning to extend the uh, transition period by two years if we can't get it right by the end of 2020. Uh, which is a safe thing to do, obviously, because it's it's quite a tricky agenda. Uh, there will be other uh, amendments which the government may uh, agree or reject, and so on. So we'll have a lot of bounces along the way. And I think uh, it is safe to say that uh, having it all done, uh, signed, gone through uh, the second reading, uh, committee stage, uh, report stage, third reading in in the House and the, at the, in the Lords, uh, all of that by the thirty first of October is almost impossible. So there will be a technical extension granted by the EU to make sure that the parliament can duly consider and and duly do its job.
0: Which um, Boris will duly not die in a ditch on, but will simply blame the broader parliament for yeah he'll do what he's done so far is
1: basically blame parliament for being you know just resistant to this whole idea of of a deal uh what's clear so but the few things we can be certain of is is firstly uh the chances of no deal brexit have pretty much vanished now there will be a deal and and that deal is the one that was negotiated there won't be another one there's going to be another negotiation um, the EU's done whatever it took to get it over the line and clearly uh, the UK government uh, and, and Boris Johnson in particular had to walk back a lot of these things he said he would not do. Um, but the point is there is a deal. Particularly the... around Ireland and Customs Union Association. Definitely. Yeah. So um, so the fact that Northern Ireland is essentially in two customs unions now, the EU customs union and the UK customs union is a, quite a tricky act to 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 monitor. Uh, the now what are the risks uh, going forward so obviously we're, we'll get that deal it will get voted through probably in you know in November um, and everybody will declare victory and at that point we'll enter the transition period and a transition period is a period during which we there is a commission that's going to monitor the implementation of that dual uh, that overlapping trade zone and has to report monthly on progress and there are some risks because the commission may find that it's actually not workable. Uh, it might have been a great idea, but it's not workable. And if at the end of that the commission says, well, you know what, we can't make this work, uh, it could be that at the end there is another reassessment that needs to be done, and, and which is when Nick Bowles, one of the MPs, said, look, we need more time. At the end of 2020 may be too near. Uh, my personal feeling, and I have no no proof of that, is that the EU probably will agree to a longer uh, transition period because it's in everybody's interest. It's in interest. their interest yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah very yeah. much so, so. And 2022 is what I've seen. So 2022 is probably the date by which Brexit will be finally, finally done, um, uh, or at least, uh, you know, the, the previous regime will close and the new regime will, sh- will have ne- be negotiated between now and then will open. Uh, And that's open to a lot of other interpretation. So Brexit's going to preoccupy us in its implementation phase for the next two, three, five years, something like that. So
0: from um, an investment standpoint, I alluded to the rally that Sterling has had, which very much relates to, um, as you said, the elimination near term of no deal risk. Um, From the point of view of um, the UK rates market, where do you think we stand, therefore, against this backdrop? Yeah, that's uh, that's a tricky one because obviously
1: uh, UK rates were had been pushed down by the uncertainty, and people are sought refuge in gilts, uh, which is obviously the the, uh, the, the the riskless asset from the UK perspective. Um, and of course, y- uh, yields have gone up since then because clearly the Bank of England won't have to ease in an emergency to support the economy. Um, However, um, you know, the the goings on, the I mean, first of all, we've had uh, industrial investment in this country has been essentially in recession for the last almost three years now. Um, it is quite likely that the uncertainties around the transition, the implementation phase and so on will continue to delay industrial investment, um, even if there is no threat of an abrupt end. Uh, but the uncertainty will remain, and the idea that uncertainty is going to end when that's, that bill is signed and sent to the to Her Majesty for royal assent, uh, I think is just wrong. There's going to be plenty of uncertainty going forward, related to the uh, to the uh, the implementation of the deal and the and the transition period. So, whether uh, we can now say, well, it's safe, to, uh, safe for the Bank of England to start resuming its normalization of rates uh, in that framework, uh, it, I think is quite. It's too early to tell, and. We're going to live in this limbo where uh, there's still a chance that you know the, the economy is still weak, um, and we know that uh, we know that we have job growth, we've had wage growth, and so on. But it, but in sectors of the economy that have very low productivity, so the potential growth of the UK is actually been is is actually low, and has gone lower since we've had such a, such low investment. So um, I, you know it's too early to tell, but I think you know it's largely I don't think we're going to get a big sell-off in gilt uh, yet just yet. And I think the Bank of England is going to be incredibly cautious about
0: normalizing monetary policy post the deal. Yes, and has to hope that uh, the mere presence of a level of certainty will allow domestic confidence to rebound somewhat. And then, as you say, caution is probably warranted from their perspective, wait and see, and then they can act afterwards if it justifies it. Yeah, I mean, we saw, for example, Toyota
1: last week announced that they were going to increase production at their French plants, uh, not the UK plants. And, you know, we know that's, you know, there was a toss up between the two. Um, you know, we know that Nissan's been making noises that their, you know, post, you know, if Brexit really happens, then their Sunderland order book is going to be compromised. So, this, and these are we're talking about, you know, car, foreign foreign car makers who who have the freedom to move have their choices. operations around, yeah. um, and uh, and you know we're talking about lots of jobs, uh, suppliers, the whole supply chain. So, if they don't make the new model investments in this country, it'll be made elsewhere, and therefore again you're delaying the, the rebound uh, in
0: economic growth. Yeah. So let's shift across the Atlantic um, and go to Washington and current deliberations uh, there in relation to China. Um, clearly, you know, we've had this dance uh, of rhetoric. And what's your what's your sense of the latest stage we've got to there?
1: Well, the latest stage, um, again, again, the technicalities can be uh, mind-boggling. But um, what is certain now is that uh, Mr. Trump uh, wants a deal, and, and you could argue that he needs a deal now. He needs to show that uh, some of the damage that's been inflicted on the, on the U.S. Uh, industrial sector and uh, the agricultural sector is... You know, it's going to be limited. Uh, you know, it's not quite the campaign openly, but we know that it's more or less, you know, you're more or less permanently in campaign mode in America anyway, given how short the mandates are. And therefore, he needs something to happen. Uh, he's made it clear that he wanted something to happen, and the Chinese clearly need relief too because their economy is hurting. Uh, and therefore, everybody's in mind to to do something and get to at least prevent a uh, an aggravation of the conflict. Um, and that's actually good news, uh, to be fair, because frankly, the way we were going in the summer uh, was towards an amplification and a tit-for-tat retaliation here and there, which obviously was, was incredibly worrying, and was partly the reason for why there was this panic rally in rates during the summer months, because the real economy was weakening, and meanwhile the, the, meanwhile the rhetoric was actually getting worse. So, so that's good news. And, uh, and clearly, we know the Federal Reserve has been watching this and saying that's one of the major uh, risk factors behind their own forecast of the U.S. Uh, economy. And so it became part of their consideration for, you know, their rates policy. Um, what is, you know, and now you see that you remove that, the, the, the worsening from, the, from their, their own scenario. And all of a sudden, they, they may not ease, need to ease as much as the, as the market had certainly uh, factored in. So they're meeting on Tuesday and Wednesday next week. Uh, We'll know by Wednesday um, what the decision is. Um, Our view is they will probably ease, but they'll probably make it uh, quite clear that uh, future policy changes will be only driven by data and they have no
0: preset uh, preset path. Preset path. And that way square the circle between the, the, the doves and the hawks that are definitely there at the moment. Uh, yes, there we have. Uh, it's
1: it's interesting how split the uh, the governing council is, um, uh, the board of governors rather for the Fed, um, and uh, it's quite clear that some members feel they shouldn't have been easing, and others feel that they should be easing more. Um, and uh, Mr. Powell's been trying to maintain balance around his board table, um, and and it's a delicate ex- exercise. Um, and in addition, of course, there's all the, the the bashing he gets from a regular basis by Mr. Trump, who's um, always telling the the Fed that he would do a better
0: job. <laughs> if, we, if we if we step away for a moment from from Washington itself and and the kind of volatility that that debate induces, and look at the industrial sector in the states, um, what would your lens be on the industrial sector and where that's at from a cyclical standpoint right now? So the industrial sector in the U.S
1: is not being immune to the slowdown in, uh, in the world economy. Um, uh, for those who follow a little bit the auto sector, um, uh, you, you'll know there's been a quite a, a tough strike at General Motors, um, partly because they want to curtail some production and uh, in some cases shut down plants entirely. Or, or if not shut them down, at least take away all the work in the plant, i.e. mothball the equipment, and, and obviously the workers get furloughed as well. Uh, so that's been quite a tough conflict. Um, Ford has been, you uh, know, is, is, is on the verge of losing its credit rating um, because they're uh, they're not doing so well either. So there is uh, there's plenty of pain in the car sector. Um, some of that, partly inflicted by the renegotiation of the the now now called USMCA, uh, formerly called um, uh, NAFTA, uh, that's not helped. Uh, so that was unfortunately partly inflicted by mr Trump himself but um but to be sure that's a sector which globally has been under under the kosh um, and uh, the US has not escaped that so the industrial sector in the u.s is also slowing um now against that the housing sector seems to have been rebounding consumption's reasonably good so so again that you know we, we have we're going to have Trend or just below trend growth, uh, with the industrial sector being the drag and uh, everything
0: else being probably faster than, than trend. Right, and so um, again, from a from a market standpoint, uh, yes, therefore potential for rates to back up somewhat, um, and uh, and from an underlying earnings perspective, probably at the margin, expectations still a little too optimistic in aggregate as we go into next year
1: yeah I mean they, they, they sort of have been always a little bit over optimistic. Um, uh, and clearly all the stimulus that has been given to the America to, to the US economy by by tax cuts and so on has now uh, disappeared.
0: so so the the economy is left to its own normal devices. That, that, that's been Keith's real core point, which is therefore, as you say, on left to its own devices and looking just slightly short of of external stimulus at this point
1: yeah and and
0: basically one should
1: expect maybe trend or just below trend growth, nothing nothing horrible, but nothing that you know was to
0: be celebrated. And so so what are your teams doing at the moment against that backdrop? Uh, so rates wise, we still have a,
1: a generally uh, overall a long position. Um, largely as a safety net against uh, deterioration. Um, we've reduced that uh, that long position. Um, we've partly, partly reduced it by cutting our long in European rates. I mean, uh, it, the 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 pricing for what the ECB might do w- w- went extreme, frankly. Uh, it went to to an extreme level. Uh, I in, interestingly, the market's now taken away all you know future uh, easing by the ECB, um, which is sort of an interesting fact because well, we never quite. Believe that the 10 basis points, the, the going from minus 40 to minus 50 basis points, would change anything really for the real economy. Uh, but the market went on to price in another 20 or 30 basis points, and now that's been completely removed. Now you could argue that's basically maybe maybe a bit uh, too little being priced in. So we've removed uh, our long position in Europe, and uh, and we still have a. You know, slight short position in gilts, but as I was saying earlier, uh, it's not going to be, uh, you know, we, we don't have such a big view now that guilts are backed up, um, and we'll probably cover that at some point. So that leaves us with, you know, a fairly pro-risk portfolio, but still an insurance uh, call on uh, long dated US rates, um, just in case something bad happens. And, you know, we know we're, we can be a tweet away from, uh, from, uh, from, a, from a market accident, right? So we don't want to not have the protection. Right.
0: Okay, we're sadly running out of time, so let, let me just do a, a brief recap. But before I do that, one last question, sorry. Uh, b- any particularly strong currency views on the back of that, my guess is? probably we, We've had the uh,
1: benign view on EM currencies, and that's Mexico, Brazil, um, and some, some of the Asians. Um, we still like some of the Asian currencies, particularly those less exposed to trade, like Indonesia and India. Uh, but apart from that, we've removed our, our short dollar, you know, uh, against the, uh, the the long EM basket generally. Um, that leaves us uh, that leaves us with a small, you know,
0: remaining long dollar position, um, but not material. Great. Um, and so, Philippe, thank you again for for that. Just so, very quick summary. Uh, Brexit, obviously, the saga continues, but the key takeaway is no deal risk really now properly reduced. That's been reflected in sterling, which may edge a little bit higher from here. um, From a UK rate standpoint, uh, unlikely that Mark Carney, Bank of England governor, will move preemptively but will wait. Um, But again, some of the more uh, alarmist prognosis for further rate cuts uh, in the UK have probably now been uh, deferred somewhat. Um, As far as China and the U.S. is concerned, uh, that uh, trade rhetoric issue continues to uh, evolve, but it's in both parties' interest now, particularly with the electoral cycle beginning to kick in in earnest for President Trump to get a deal um, of sorts. Um, given that his room for manoeuvre in terms of domestic fiscal stimulus is limited right now and he knows therefore what's good for him given the fact that the broader industrial sector uh, particularly the auto sector which you were talking about remains uh, under pressure even if that is partly offset by re- a relatively benign position in terms of u.s consumption so putting that together from a US rate perspective, we've got the meeting next week. The expectation is that we will see a further um, cut uh, by Jerome Powell and friends, 25 basis points, but likely to be accompanied by comparatively hawkish rhetoric, as in we now really have to see how it pans out from here. Uh, And as we look into next year, your view is very consistent with that expressed by Keith, which is that it's dull, um, not necessarily disastrous, even if it makes the earnings backdrop uh, a little bit tougher. And then finally, in terms of positioning, um, you've recently cut um, some of your long rates position in Europe, um, moving towards a more neutral position in the UK for the reasons we've just talked about, but have a slightly ongoing pro-risk stance uh, towards rates in the U.S., which is, in a sense, something of an insurance policy uh, where Trump, as you put it, um, to tweet something uh, unexpected, um, and that nets out to being a modest position uh, in favor of the U.S. dollar uh, and a relatively sanguine view at this stage um, of selected EM currencies. Philippe, with that, thank you very much indeed. Hugely appreciate your time. Thanks, everyone, for listening. That concludes this week's call.